And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. My fellow Americans, welcome back to another episode of the Inspired Service Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Scheinbaum, and I'm really honored to be joined today by member Jennifer Hammondy, one of the five presidentially nominated and Senate-confirmed board members of the National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB, the organization established in 1967 to conduct independent investigations of all civil aviation accidents in the United States and major accidents and other modes of transportation as well. Member Hammondy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So, you know, the, one of the things that, that's interesting about the NTSB is it's traditionally something that Americans only hear about when tragedy strikes. And most recently, uh, you've been quoted in the news after the, the tragic events a few weeks ago, of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and seven others perished in a helicopter crash in California. You've described some of the investigations going on around special visual flight rules clearance. It's important work. But it begs the question, is the NTSB ever associated with good news? Uh, we do, actually, especially when someone implements one of our safety recommendations. At the end of the process of an investigation, the board considers a final report, which includes findings, probable causes, and safety recommendations. And when a safety recommendation is implemented that improves safety, those safety recommendations are aimed at preventing another accident from happening again. And so when those are implemented, I think that's good news. Absolutely. And one of the things I'd like to talk about today is a little bit about how the NTSB as a body functions. I think it's, it's interesting we hear that investigations are, are underway. When we hear that the NTSB is investigating, what does that mean? Well, we are mandated by Congress to investigate every civil aviation accident in the United States and significant accidents and other modes of transportation. So we have a 24-7 response operations center where information comes in either electronically, by phone, or they're monitoring different news stations in the, and we call it the ROC, the response operations center all day long, and it's, if they're notified of an accident, they usually contact the head of the specific office in the NTSB. So the director usually gets the first notification, and then there's some follow-up as they're trying to get more information about the accident. And sometimes we launch just staff, because we have a lot of aviation accidents, board members can't go to all those accidents. So. There are a lot of staff launches, and then there are times where board members are called upon to respond to an accident, and that's usually because, you know, there's a lot of uh, media attention or other things that we have to do uh, so that the investigator in charge is able to do their work on scene. Essentially, we're the spokesman of the agency for those major major accidents. So we're working, we're there first and foremost for the families because we conduct family briefings. And then we are there for the media and for any sort of electeds that may show up that uh, need information. So a lot of times in the media, I'm called the lead investigator. I'm actually not the investigator. I'm the board member, the, spokes, the spokesperson who's there. 
our country relies in many ways on folks like yourself who are kind of eternally vigilant and ready at any hour of the day. It's not, it doesn't sound like a, re a relaxing existence. Well, important though, and I, I, uh, I think everybody at this agency is a big believer in the mission, so I think that's what drives everyone. Um, and accidents is just a part of what members do. We have a, a number of other, you know, uh, accident response is one, and then it's up to us to try to get our safety recommendations implemented. So we're working, when we're not working on accidents, we're, or uh, considering a final report of an accident in the board meeting or before a board meeting, then we're working the rest of the time to try to get the entities that we issue safety recommendations to implement it. It sounds like an incredibly packed portfolio, a lot, of, a lot of busy days, and really, as you said, really, really important work. I think it'd be fascinating for people to know, I mean, is this a job that, uh, that people are excited and looking forward to, to getting? Is this something that you wanted to do? I did. You know, when I first went to the Transportation Committee in June 2004, I had become the Democratic Staff Director of the Railroad the Subcommittee. Actually, at the time, it was Subcommittee on Railroads, and later we added Railroads Pipelines and Hazardous Materials. Uh, but I went, when I went there, I was working on a pipeline bill. And uh, I reached out to the NTSB because my background was not in oil and gas pipelines. And I needed them to walk me through a couple significant accidents that had happened. That was really the beginning of me working with the NTSB. And over many years, I worked to implement NTSB recommendations through legislation. So you were intimately familiar with the with the organization. Let's actually let's go all the way back um, because I think you you alluded to the fact that this is uh, in in many ways the the logical culmination of a series of experiences and not a a random uh, occurrence. Let's start all the way with your all the way back with your upbringing, originally from Connecticut, but you moved when you were fairly young, and and it had to do with your uh, father's work. Can you talk a little bit about that? My father had worked for the Office of Legislative Counsel for the governor's office in Connecticut when I was very young. And about five years old, we moved to McLean, Virginia, because he got a job for the Congressional Budget Office. And he was a budget analyst for CBO for a number of years. And then he became counsel for the Budget Committee on the House side and was there for about seven, eight years, and then became the Democratic Chief Counsel for the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. So I was always around transportation or legislation or budget issues, safety issues. It was always something that I was fascinated with. What was your perception of Congress when you were a kid? I was pretty enamored, actually. I thought, you know, I, my father would come home and, I mean, he would talk all about what he did every day. You know, I mean, not everything, but they, he'd talk about legislative issues, things they were working on. And I think my best memory was probably when I would carpool with him right after when I graduated from college, I would carpool with him. And so to and from work, I would hear about everything he was working on. So I... I knew I always wanted to work on the Hill. That's super cool. Did you have like a celebrity Hill uh, fascination? Was there anyone that you really wanted to meet from your dad's stories? 
No, I think my dad was the celebrity for me, <laughs> honestly. I thought, I'd like, I remember him walking me all through high, how the highway trust fund worked. I'm not sure I actually understood a word of what he said, but I sure hung on every word. Um, you know, when I was in junior high, he would teach me about re budget re reconciliation, and I had a, in my class, I had a, a project where we reconciled, I split them up by House and Senate, and we did a fake budget reconciliation. So, and I think that was in eighth grade. So it was always, I was always really enamored with everything he did. So that, obviously that, that kind of got you from a young age interested in the legislative process. Did you have, uh, did you have a sense that what your dad, what your father was doing was was a form of, of public service? Was it just a job? Was it a was it like his dream? What? How did you think about his work? My my father loved uh, the Hill, and I mean, he spent his entire career on the Hill, and um, that really spilled over to me because I mean, I saw him. You know, he would leave the house at six o'clock in the morning, and many nights not come home until midnight and you know when he when he was home we'd talk about what he was doing and so he was he was a hard worker and there were a lot of sacrifices when we were kids and so I mean he he loved it so I loved it it's it's such a um, kind of a key message because I think there's some element of service that almost definitionally involves some piece of sacrifice uh, and that can that can come in all sorts of forms but um, the recognition that you're doing something that is about more than just just yourself is is certainly core it wasn't a job for him he felt like he made a difference that's really interesting because it's another one of these things that i think it's a commonality among those who serve because so often service involves exposure to to things that are uh, that are difficult right whether that's um going overseas into conflict zones or whether that's being around a lot of difficult, you know, medical conditions or whether that's being, you know, as, as you do now kind of on, first on the scene with, with respect to accidents, but there's something about the ability to, uh, to take those experiences and to translate it into, into action and to drive into a desire to, to help others or per, to prevent similar circumstances in the future that I think separates um, people like yourself who sign up for the mission. And so uh, it's something that you, perhaps you got from your father. You know, my time on the Hill, I, you know, I worked for one of the committees that was the most bipartisan committee on the House side. And so I developed relationships with not just the Democrats, but the Republicans as well. And we had to work together to find solutions to issues. And we didn't always agree. A lot of times we argued. Um, but I think what people don't appreciate is that everybody believes that they are making a difference on the Hill. It's just your view on how you make a difference might be different from your colleagues. It, it kind of comes back to this idea of not necessarily a, assuming bad intent or ascribing right. bad intent to things that you disagree with. So on the way to, we're, we're going to work our way to, to your time on the Hill. And you, you mentioned, you know, the, that your father could have worked in, private, in the private industry. He did not. When you came back to Washington, you, you headed to, to, the, to the legislative branch, but you focused on 
on, on kind of industry, right? First as a Senate assistant for the National Federation of Independent Business, and then at the American Iron and Steel Institute. What was the allure of, of industry for you? You know, it's interesting, and I'm actually going to back up for a second, because the year I graduated from Penn State, I had done an internship for Arlen Specter in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And a couple of my internships, my father had, had said to me, just because I'm a Democrat doesn't mean you should be a Democrat. I want you to have experience in mm -hmm. both, with both parties to figure out where you are. And so I did a couple of internships with Republicans. And then when I graduated, I wanted to work on the Hill. I felt, you know, was voting Democrat and I wanted to work for Democratic members. But when I graduated, the Republicans had just taken over the House. And so every job offer or job that was out there was not in the party that I wanted to work for. And so I got job, I got at least one job offer for Republican member on the House side. And I, I turned it down because I had decided if I pursued that, then I, I would be in the Republican Party at that point, And I would not have the opportunity to move to the Democratic side. And so how I ended up with the NTSB is because there was this huge influx of people who wanted jobs because the house had just changed and it was tough competing. And I had met with tons of people, but a democratic job was kind of few and far between. And so I worked with a headhunter and she, she uh, notified me of a position with the National Federation of Independent Business. I interviewed and ended up taking that job. And I, I actually loved it there. I had a great boss. I was there for a little over two years. And I, during that time, worked on the White House and NFIB's participation in that. What do you think you, you learned or got from that first job that kind of influenced where you went next? There was a difficult jump to where I wanted to be. Um, I didn't want to continue on as an assistant. I eventually wanted to do legislative work either on the Hill or as a junior lobbyist. And there wasn't that opportunity at NFIB. At the same time, I had, I had made a lot of uh, friends at NFIB that helped me you know, look for another position where I could do that. And so then I, I had seen an ad for the American Iron and Steel Institute. I interviewed and so then I went to go work for the steel industry. So from small business to a very large industry, and then your next step I think is even more interesting where you ended up working kind of with and for unions. When I worked for the American Iron and Steel Institute, I did a lot of Buy America and a lot of policy around the highway bill at the time on steel bridges, uh, steel buildings, um, and started working with transportation committee staff to bring them out to different steel companies and steel mills. And in that work, I worked a lot with somebody who was the head of the government affairs department at at uh, the steelworkers. And so he came to a lot of my meetings because it was all Buy America meetings on the Hill, all steel construction. It was sort of a coalition of the steel industry and steel workers and the mine workers at the time. And during that work, he said, hey, I know you're a Democrat 
and I think you'd be great at the unions. And I, there's a position with the Transportation Trades Department at VFL-CIO, and I'd like to recommend you, are you interested? And I jumped at it because, I mean, my, my grandfather was a union member. I grew up knowing the differences that they made for working families. So that was a huge moment for me working for them. It's amazing how there seems to be some family experience or something in your background that kind of informed each of the positions you've taken, which is really cool. Let's talk for a few minutes about your time um, after the uh, the Teamsters on the on the subcommittee, right? So you were that you ultimately um, made your way to become the Democratic Staff Director for the subcommittee on railroads, pipelines, and, and hazardous materials um, in the Transportation Committee. What was that like? I mean, it, it, it's it's certainly not a you know tens of thousands of person um, large corporation, but it's kind of its own type of bureaucracy and its own uh, you know unique kind of uh, ways and you know behavioral norms on the hill. What was that period of time like for you? Those fourteen years. Well, uh, before I answer that, just to sort of back back up on the Teamsters, I don't think any of my jobs I've just come across. I've worked it to get it. So with this one, I had my predecessor on the Hill had been confirmed to the Surface Transportation Board. And I knew actually when he was in the works before he was even confirmed, I approached the Transportation Committee Democrat staff director, the overall chief of staff, and said, hey, uh, you know, I know he's leaving at some point. I really want this job. And here's why I'd be great for it. And I had this whole plan, you know, that I, I, laid out and um you know my predecessor had had sort of a four-month process to get confirmed and i would occasionally check in saying hey i'm still interested and then uh when he was confirmed the chief of staff called me and said hey congressman Obastar wants to see you tomorrow and i knew that was my moment to make my pitch and I felt like I did a lot at the Teamsters, but I thought I could do even more for safety if I went to the Hill. It, it was the best 14 years of my life, professionally. I mean, it wasn't always easy. There were, there were tough times. There were many nights where I slept on a sleeping bag on my floor because we were done negotiating at two o'clock in the morning and starting again at six and I wasn't going to go home. But I, I loved every minute of it. When you think back on that, those 14 years, what are you proudest of? Um, and and I, talk, I talk about this sometimes, but there were a couple of accidents that NTSB investigated. There was a pretty significant pipeline accident in Virginia, which killed a family, and it was pretty tragic. And we addressed this NTSB safety recommendations in the pipeline bill that we drafted right after I had started on the Hill. And so I was pretty proud of that. But then right around the same time, the NTSB had finished a report on an accident involving a train collision in Graniteville, South Carolina. And the parents of the locomotive engineer that died had come in to talk to Obistar. And it was a pretty, it was a pretty significant train accident. And it had followed a number of other train accidents that we were focused on involving chlorine and hazardous materials. And it would have been prevented had PTC positive train control been implemented. And uh, it was a 50-year NTSB recommendation, and nobody had acted upon it. And so the family came in and met with Obistar and, and said, 
that they wanted us to move NTSB's recommendations as part of the first rail safety bill that had been enacted in over a decade. And so we, you know, we started public hearings and field hearings and we started drafting and we, we were able to, by 2008, enact the first rail safety bill in 13 years probably the first changes to fatigue rules in almost 100 years for rail workers. And then um, we mandated implementation of positive train control and the other NTSB recommendations. So that was part of our legislation. And so now at the board, I'm part of trying to push for implementation. And uh, that deadline for the railroads to implement PTC is at the end of this year. So. No matter what I do, if I'm if I was on the hill or at NTSB, if I can save one life, it's worth it. In some ways, your your position on the NTSB is like the culmination of your previous experiences in this really impressive way. And I, I you alluded to it before. I know we talked about this was a job you wanted. You've worked to get every job you've had and been very deliberate about a lot of the the um, positions you've gone after. The NTSB was no exception, right? And in fact, there was a, a dose of kind of persistence in your ability to to get this post. And you did it as someone who'd worked in Democratic legislative committees. You were nominated under a Republican president. Can you talk about, so what was that process like for you to actually achieve your goal of becoming a, a, mem a board member for the NTSB? Well, and it, it wasn't the first time I had tried to become an NTSB board member in 2015 and was a, a finalist. And I actually remember talking to one of the prior board members uh, at the time who said, you know, you may not get it the first time. You shouldn't quit. You should keep trying if you don't. I didn't get it. And it actually worked out great because I, I ended up getting the chance to work with ranking member, now chairman, DeFazio for uh, about three years. Um, but while I, was on the, while I was on the Hill, it was May of 2017. And the NTSB was holding a railroad accident class at the training center in Ashburn. And I decided I didn't have anything going on for that recess, so I was gonna go to the class. So I went to the class and uh, the chairman was at the class and said to me, hey, when am I gonna see your name for a board member? And I had said, well, you know, I, I, I wanna be on the board, but there's no, no open slots. And he said, well, you know, I'm hearing there might be. And that was enough for me to start thinking about it and to inquire about it. And when I did a little bit more research, I realized that was probably going to be the case. There was going to be an opening. So then the question is, did I want to go for it a second time? Because I absolutely loved my job on the Hill. I could have retired and been happy. But I wanted to be an NTSB board member. So I figured if I was going to go for it, I was going to really go for it. And so I, I thought about it actually for a couple of months and then I decided I didn't want to wait until there was a nominee. If I waited too long, I'd miss that opportunity. So I put down on a piece of paper the, and one of those people was Senator Schumer's uh, nominations person. 
and a friend of mine on the house side introduced me over phone and you know he rightfully sent me the long document that I would have to fill out for them to even consider uh, whether I was right for the job and I, at the time it still was unclear whether that member was whether there was going to be an open position or not but I still was going to continue as if there was. And so I filled out the paperwork in two weeks, sent it back to Senator Schumer's office, followed up and followed up again weeks later. And in that time, when a slot did come open or it was announced it was going to, I figured out the, the people I needed to talk to beyond him to get the job. And part of that was also going to my boss at the time, who did not want me to leave, um, and saying, are you okay with this? And thankfully he was. But I, I did contact everyone I could to say I wanted the position. And for Democratic nominees in a Republican administration, and the same as if it's the reverse, the Senate Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer, is the one who recommends you to the White House. Um, and then the White House then vets you after that. So I got a call. I, I will never forget it. I had just arrived in Chicago on a train. I was doing a cross-country train trip out to Oregon with the committee to see Amtrak's long distance service. And I just arrived in Chicago and I was getting on another train and uh, Senator Schumer's office called and said, congratulations, you just submitted your name to the White House a couple of days ago, you'll be getting a call. And 24 hours later, the White House called and said, can you come in for an interview? And so when I got back, I had met with them right around, right after Thanksgiving. So my, my process is you're recommended by the Senate Democratic leader and then the White House steps you from there. But I, I will say it's my relationships that I developed on the Hill on both sides that helped me through, that was key for the, that process. If I didn't have relationships on the Democratic side and the Republican side, I would have not gotten this position. No doubt. Relationships are key. Working hard is key. I, you know, being deliberate about what you want and then and putting in place a path or a plan to go obtain it. Um, all great lessons uh, and, and borne out by your, your career and life experience. So um, appreciate you sharing that. Jennifer, we're, we're gonna let, let you go in a second here. I know you've got to run and, and get on with your day. I think just in closing, are there any kind of messages or, or uh, themes you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Well, what, one thing I would highlight is just at the NTSB, we have five board members, three of which are from the Republican Party, two of the Democratic Party. At no time do any of us think of that. We don't think about what party may, you know, we may be tied to in our positions. Our focus is on safety. And so day in and day out, we are working to prevent accidents and to improve safety overall. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for being here with us today, for sharing a little bit about your kind of life and, and career story. And thank you for everything that you've done and continue to do on behalf of travelers, of, of the American people and, and our country. For more episodes of the Inspired Service Podcast, please visit us at www.inspiredservice.org and subscribe on iTunes. Don't fuck with me now. I'm mad as shit. Don't like it, but...